Thanks for making us part of your day. We're coming to you from the basement of the Conexus Art Center. No, they're not sticking us in a broom closet. We're here in the uh, lobby area of the basement between the bar and the uh, hall area where tonight the Regina Thunder are back with their fundraising dinner. It's a sold-out dinner, 500-plus in attendance tonight for this big dinner. And on the stage with yours truly will be the Rough Riders general manager, Jeremy O'Day. Joined by a couple of former Thunder players, Logan Furland and Dan Clark. Now, uh, we're hoping to get a hold of another Thunder alumni, Paul Waldo. He is, of course, in the real estate game. He could be selling a home or bolting some homes to the ground that he's trying to sell with that wind out there. But we'll try to get a hold of him. But it's going to be a great night here and a great show from the Conexus Art Center. The NHL season opened on North American ice yesterday with two games. It was the New York Rangers getting two goals for Mika Zibanejad in a, a big uh, 3-1 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were uh, representing the East in the Stanley Cup last year. And uh, the other game saw Mark Stone, the former Brandon Wheat, Kings score late with 24.9 seconds to go, making Bruce Cassidy, the former Bruins bench boss and now coach of the Las Vegas Golden Knights, a winner in his debut behind the bench. The Knights beat the upstart Kings 4-3. to Those are expected to be two good hockey teams this year. Before 4.30, we'll hear from Peter Lou Bardius. The team that he broadcasts for, the Calgary Flames on the Flames Radio Network and 960 The Fan. He uh, and the Flames, as he watches them, taking on the Colorado Avalanche, defending Stanley Cup champs. And, um, of course, Nazem Kadri will be in the lineup for the Calgary Flames, who come in with a coach, Daryl Sutter, with a two-year contract extension uh, in his back pocket. I mean, I never thought Daryl Sutter would be back coaching the Flames, let alone sticking around for more years. But he had them rolling last year till they ran into the buzzsaw of the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs in the second round, in the Battle of Alberta, going out in five games after winning the first game of that series in a high-scoring affair. Uh, they just got McKenzie. Weger in a trade signed him to a big deal. Jonathan Huberto in that same trade that saw uh, Matthew Kachuk the other way to Florida. So both of those guys will be in the lineup tomorrow when the Calgary Flames take on the Colorado Avalanche. And um, so that's uh, what we'll talk about with Peter Lubardi. So the fact they're going in without a team captain. The Jets are doing that as well. We'll also hear from Mike Kelly a little later on talking NHL hockey. Got a couple of big matchups tonight involving Canadian teams. The Edmonton Oilers and the Vancouver Canucks in Edmonton. Home opener for the highly touted Oilers. And a Canucks team that I think is going to be better than some people think. They had a, a lot of players like Elias Pettersson and a, a few others fall off the map. Uh, had a down year, but they're back. JT Miller signed to an extension, so uh, look out for the Canucks with uh, Canucks. Pardon me, with one of the better goaltenders, Thatcher Demko, uh, between the pipes for uh, that hockey team tonight in Edmonton. The early game has the Toronto Maple Leafs against the Montreal Canadiens, who, along with Arizona and Chicago, depending on who you listen to, playing for the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Speaking of the Pats, you want to get on and watch Regina Pats hockey tonight as well. They're at home against the Prince.
Prince Albert Raiders in a 7 o'clock faceoff. We'll have the pregame show at um, 6.35. But right now it's time to uh, get out and talk to our friend uh, Paul Waldo on the Western Pizza Hotline. We'll tell you the show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win $1 million. You can always interact with us, too, at 936-6262. Our text line powered by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac. This is a great guy to talk to on a night like this. He uh, is a three-time Grey Cup champ, came up through the Regina Minor football ranks, and played for this very team before he went to play with the Huskies. It's Paul Waldo. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm good, guys. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. Now, uh, Paul, uh, we've talked about this in the past, but it is a night when uh, we are celebrating Regina Thunder football. Just talk about what junior football and playing for this team before you, really in the early stages of this uh, program, before you went on to the Huskies. What that meant to you? I mean, for me, it meant everything. Um, so much so for, for a guy coming out of high school of 120 pounds soaking when I really didn't have anywhere to play, to be quite honest with you. Um, I mean, they, they were the ones that gave me the, the avenue, the, the late, great Randy Shaw um, and company, and, you know, a lot of great local coaches gave me the opportunity to play. Otherwise, I don't, I don't think my football career would have, would have, uh, would have had a, had a chance to be honest with you. So when I look at programs like obviously the Regina Thunders here and, and what they've done, not only for, for players like me, but you know, the Jeff Slaps of the world. And then you, you can go down the list and the, the, the Dan Clarks and the Evans and the Furlands. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's been an astronomical, you know, force in my life and, and for a lot of great, great players, great athletes. You know, it's a good point. Uh, Stu Ford's another one. Heck, we're waiting oh, for God. the Braves and the Philadelphia uh, Phillies. They're in a rain delay, and on that diamond is a Regina Thunder alumni. Stu Sherwater, the umpire, the only Canadian Major League Baseball umpire, teammate of Ben Hebert. He played uh, on this team. Ben Hebert played in this team. You, I mean, the list goes yeah. on and on and on. You know, it's incredible. That's a great point that you mentioned because it's, it's you know, you know, prospering athletes that, that moved off and moved on to even different different types of sports. So it's uh, it, it really has been a foundation for for a lot of players like myself and um, and several others. What I like about this league, Paul, now uh, uh, the, the Hilltops have done it to some extent. I don't know their team as well, to be honest, but right. I know Mirad right. El-Khatib and the board here, Bryn Wert and everybody, they've done yeah. a great job of, uh, you know, uh, getting um, scholarships for athletes. Like, they have over 50 scholarship athletes. And what I like about junior football, if you want to go to school, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. That's what I've always liked you about junior football. So it, it gives you the avenue to do both, right? And then I think, you know, you know continuing... You know, your your athletic career is one thing, but we know that doesn't last forever, regardless how many years you play after. But allowing you to still get your education and still experience, you know, the university life or a tech school or, or whatever the case is, it's, it's pretty amazing. And just, you know, you mentioning those names like Murad and guys like Bryn, I mean, you know, the, the Regina Thunder specifically, I think, has always been talented. We've always had great, great football that club always has. And, I think at times early in its existence, it was the business aspect of it, the marketing aspect of it, trying to trying to raise capital and, and, and dollars so that kids could go to school and you know and it could it could you know basically establish some sort of prosperity outside of just playing football and, and now they're doing that better than they ever have and I think that's why that program has been so so consistently good the last 
you know, decade or so. Well, the Regina Thunder will play host of the Edmonton Huskies in the final 2022 regular season game on Sunday at Libel Field. Yep. They're building at the Orange Shirt Game, a 1 p.m. kickoff at Libel Field. The undefeated Thunder clinched first place in the PFC for the second straight season by defeating the Calgary Colts 39-14. to I'll tell you what, it, it, it's awesome because if they win that game, they've gone two regular seasons undefeated, which is a great accomplishment, but I mean, it means nothing if you don't beat the Hilltops in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and, and they and the Hilltops have been doing it. They've been doing it for years. And I, I think the I think the part of it, though, um, you know, learning or winning is learned, right? It, it's not just you don't just all of a sudden show up and it and it happens. And it's got to be built, and you got the foundation and the building blocks. And you know, I think sometimes you got to go undefeated and beat the Saskatoon Hilltops twice back to back in the regular season, then to lose to them in the postseason. So you learn how to win, right? And now. I feel like, you know, the, the the growth of that team really happened last year. And now they're confident enough. They know they can go back and do it again and then continue to, to correct and correct their mistakes. Because like you said, um, you got to be able to win, win when it counts. And I think that also is um is a learned habit. So I think I think they're there. You know, I think last year they didn't they didn't face a lot of adversity going into that uh into that postseason game and now you know they're able to kinda learn from, from where they fell off last year. So it should be good. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because you're a three-time Grey Cup champ, so you know how to win. You started 120 pounds soaking wet. Your words, not mine. Yep. Probably didn't get a lot heavier, like 160, 165. Oh, yeah. But, car- yep. yeah, but yeah, carved yeah. out a really carved out a really nice football career for yourself, and now you're coaching uh, in Saskatoon, trying to lead the stars of tomorrow today on the Scott Flory staff with the U of S Huskies. What did losing that Vanier Cup last year teach you guys? It, you know, it, it taught us a few things. It it it, it stacked us up. It, it let us know what we were going to be getting into. You know, once once you play a team like Western or a power host that you haven't seen before, you know, it 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 taught us how to really handle adversity. I mean, I think you know we fought to the very end, but the whole journey last year. I mean, you know, to to beat a, a tough you know Calgary Dino football team. You know, towards the end of the year with the, with the, those Bill Pop brothers, and then you go in and then you know going through you know Manitoba and playing BC and I mean getting out of the conference wasn't overly challenging and then you got to travel to to Montreal to play you know a, a very strong Montreal team in, in extreme climate conditions and then so it was just it was it was such a journey I think and what we did is we we started to build our endurance you know um, it didn't end the way we wanted it to but we needed we needed to feel what that was like so you know when we get back to this year um, we're uh, we're preparing already Okay, I know you always respect your opponents. Don't get me wrong. That football yeah. weekend in Saskatchewan when you played the Rams, I know you respected them. But did they yeah. give you an eye opener? Did they give you guys an eye oh. opener? There it was no, almost like no. a when they didn't. Just talk about no. that. And what you expect from them? Because I'll tell you something right now, Paul. I'll tell you something right now. This is a team that's got no respect from the get go. None of the coaches and the coaches poll thought this team was any good. They picked them sixth. Man, that's crazy. They keep winning without their starting quarterback Donnelly and without their stud Kyle Borsa. They keep winning and they keep dropping in the top ten. They're now eight. That's crazy. You know, uh, let me tell you something about that top ten. Uh, like anything, the people that pick those usually they're not the ones playing. They don't get it. They don't. They don't really have. Um, not that they haven't been there or they haven't do it. They're just not doing it at that time, right? Number one. Number mm-hmm. two. You know, the Rams historically, uh, going back to when I played, even before that, have always been high powered on offense. Could get the ball down the field. They could always score. And I think where they may have struggled is probably defensively. Well, now, I mean, arguably, you know, 
they they have I mean they're they're front seven I mean they are they can play they can play ball we knew that going in and I think our team I think our coaching staff knew that we were going to be in for one heck of a battle not only because of the type of talent they are and how well rounded they are as a team but like you said it was the football in Saskatchewan they were playing at home you know concerts going on up front so we we knew we, we were coming into a fist fight I think you know the outside looking in for the people that really don't maybe understand the football but I mean the second you turn the tape on and you watch them and you're prepared for those guys we knew how good they were going to be with you it was going to be fighting Okay, so lastly, got to get a comment from you. Uh, three-time Grey Cup champ, two with the Owls, one with the Riders. You've been on our broadcast team for a number of years, have had to uh, step back because of uh, um, important father and family duties and, of course, yeah. real estate and coaching. You can only be one guy, so you can't do everything. But I'd like to have you on from time to time. Man, I've been holding out hope for this Rough Rider team, and I still want to as the first-year voice of this team. But when I left that stadium in Hamilton, I'm not going to lie to you, it's the first time all year I've been really really dejected and uh, not happy with what I see on the field. If this football team doesn't make the playoffs or goes out in the first round of the playoffs, can you run it back with the same group? I know you're going to change. What I mean is I know you're going to change some pieces with the players. That always happens. But can you run it back with the same coach and GM? You know what? I don't don't think so, Um, unfortunately. And I mean, I... I'm a big fan of Craig Dickinson. You know, I always have been as a coach, as a player, and and nobody respects that man more than I do. Um, and you know, I not to say that he should be there, he shouldn't be there, but I don't like I said, I don't think you get a better a better guy to lead the team. Right now, I think the hard part about watching this football team this year is the struggles, both you know, on the field and off the field. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of different distractions. I know the Marino thing, and then. You know, there's a DUI thing, and there's, you know, guys, you know, getting into fights, you know, prior, to, you know, suspensions and so forth. That's a lot to deal with. Um, I always look back on our year, you know, when we won the Great Cup, when we hosted the Great Cup, the amount, the immense amount of pressure that we had, and then, you know, you know, we're 8-1 or whatever the case, and then, you know, a bunch of guys get into a fight on Dune Avenue, and it just, it wasn't good. So those distractions can really kill you, but, you know, we, were, we had a good enough team from a talent standpoint, I think, to, uh, to kind of you know, overcome those, but you know, I don't, I don't think this club is as talented as some of the other teams that are out there. And then when you add the distractions on top of that, it makes it really challenging to win. So, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think. I mean, there's obviously going to have to be some severe, um, some serious changes being made, and uh, you know, that that depends on, you know, who it is that they feel is comfortable and at, at what level, you know, they end up, you know, bringing somebody else in. So. I think it's a lot. It's a lot more complex than people think of just firing everybody because then you got to replace mm-hmm. them, and it's not just replacing people with other people. You want to essentially then replace them with somebody that you feel is gonna gonna be better. So it's not easy, you know. But no, it isn't easy. You know. So yeah. Yeah, it's not easy at all. Hey, uh, Paul, if they want to get a hold of you in the real estate game, how do they go about doing it? They can get a hold of me at three zero six five zero two five three five five or Paul at HolmesRegina.ca. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Take care. Enjoy uh, Enjoy the rest of your week. Good luck against the Rams. It's going to be a good one. Thanks, guys. It will be great. If you got some time, go up to Saskatoon and watch that one on Saturday. When we come back, our clutch performance. We'll uh, talk with Peter Lubardius of the Flames Radio Network in a minute, too. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca. Alvarez launches deep right field, and this one is gone, and the Astros walk him off. 
right, that is our clutch performance from Nick Service. That was the uh, 1714th game in the history of postseason baseball, and you may have thought you'd seen it all, but no, you'd never see this. Never in all those games, over 118 postseason games, had there been a moment like this. Never had one wave of anyone's bat performed a magic trick. A team that was one out away from losing by multiple runs and then wound up, uh, wound up winning. All because the baseball landed in an uncatchable place. That's what happened when Jordan Alvarez hit that three-run shot off of Robbie Ray, former Cy Young Award winner. And I'll tell you what, the Mariners are going to look back on that one. Remember, they beat the Jays rallying from 8-1 down, but they were up 4 nothing in the second, 6 6-2 in the fourth, and 7-3 as late as five outs to go. Couldn't beat Houston, losing 8-7. to That could be a playoff-defining win and play. And the best we can tell is uh, Jordan Alvarez did not use the help of a trash can. Uh, this is uh, the Clutch Performance brought to you by Nick Service at Emerald Park, your local Massey Ferguson challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Call 781 NHL broadcaster Peter Labardius. Nobody knows the game at all levels like Peter. From the Regina Pats broadcast booth to being a leading voice on Calgary Flames Radio, this is Peter's Puck. Peter Lombardi is joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, study time, banquet time like here at the Connexus Art Center. A great time to order Western Pizza. And we'll head out on the Western Pizza Hotline and join Peter Lombardi is from the Calgary Flames Radio Network. Peter, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Hi, my friend. How are you? You're under the weather. Are you feeling better? I Well, I just, you know, I'm not... 25 anymore <laughs> and I since I got back to Calgary I got my hand in so many cookie jars that pretty much just by the end of the weekend had run myself into the ground so um, I'm better now good man much better now the world's a better place when Peter Lubardius is chipper and happy and healthy and you must be pretty excited the hockey guy that you are uh, as we are rolling to another NHL season and uh, at the start of the offseason like we talked a few weeks ago I thought the flames oh come on they're gonna go back to the outhouse that battle of Alberta we were salivating over was one and done but they're probably gonna be a better team this year than they were last year and that's a nice plot line Kadri against his former team to kick things off it certainly is and you know that's just start uh, the start of it you know the flames have quite an opening first two games they take on the champs tomorrow and then they have a date with the oilers in edmonton on saturday and you're right uh, no team went from people jumping here into the bow river to now most people starting with myself feeling like this might be the best team on paper that they've had since I've been here. So things have really changed. The only disappointment is we get that uh, Battle of Alberta three times all season, and two of them will be done by the end of the month. Yeah. I but mean, that's... Uh, both teams, yeah. 
Who made that schedule, Pete? Is it the same guy that made the CFL schedule that made Hamilton and Toronto play four times in five weeks, basically rendering their usual Labor Day classic kind of, uh, who cares, we've seen him three other times. Like, come on, the Battle of Alberta, outstanding. A better Calgary Flames team against an Oilers team uh, touted to take the next step when they were eight wins away from the Stanley Cup, and we only get them three times? I know, I know. Listen, you know, it, the schedule is done now with the new alignment where half the half the years you play a team in your division three times and the other half of the division you play four times. Now, if I was the schedule maker, and I am not, I would overhaul a lot of different things. In fact... Michael, what I would try to do is I would have loved to have seen a Canadian division, Mm -hmm. but one where you play everybody in Canada six times. That I would have loved to have seen. I understand why why they don't do that, but even at that, there is no reason that the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames don't play one another at least four times a season. I agree. I agree. Peter Lubardi is joining us in the Western Pizza Hotline, uh, talking NHL hockey. Um, Are you surprised the Flames are going with no captain to start the year? No, not at all. Not at all. And here's what I would say about that. I thought Daryl Sutter gave a great answer. Even it wholeheartedly. And, And here's what it is for me, Michael, is... He said yesterday that being a captain in a Canadian market, if you are not 100% sure and somebody in your group, if they haven't completely, you know, found themselves in the obvious, this is our guy situation, Daryl completely believes in his leadership. I think he believes in his leadership now more than he ever has. Um, he said a couple of days ago that two things. It's very different now in a Canadian market. And for some guys, you just don't want to put even more on them than they're already dealing with. And he says in Calgary, we have, you know, six or seven guys who have won Stanley Cups, which is truly for Daryl. There's nothing he values more than guys who have been there and done that. And he said, we don't have enough A's or C's here to go around. So, can I ask you a quick question? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that's such a big topic? I don't, I don't I just because I think it's tradition to have somebody that you look to to be your leader. It's funny because you don't really have a... Nobody really walks around the big captaincy in football, right? You just kind of know no. that it's... it's You just kind of know that it's your quarterback. Although I do think in the Riders' case, it might be one of the guys that's going to be on the stage with me tonight with the uh, Regina Thunder dinner here. That'd be Dan Clark. But you never you never really have that. So, yeah, you're absolutely... You don't see it in baseball. Nobody walks around like Jeter wasn't wearing a big C in the shortstop role. No. So I, I, I totally get it, but I think it goes back to the tradition of the sport. You just look to the guy that he's your captain, Messier or Gretzky or, I mean, was it New and Dyke? The list goes on and on and on, right? It's such a different time, though, too. Yeah. And, and I think a big part of it is, you know, I think about up the highway in Edmonton. Connor McDavid, no question, is the best player on the Edmonton Oilers. 
but he never really looks comfortable in that role. And and in, with social media, and as Daryl said, being a captain in a Canadian market is completely different, and it and it does affect guys' performance. So. It's funny you bring up Connor McDavid because I've had debates with my friends with this. I've heard this a lot. Hey, the Oilers have only got three years with Dreisaitl and four with McDavid before he's gone. And I'm not saying that those guys won't go because that's generally what happens. They go to bigger markets. But McDavid strikes me as the type that isn't chasing like the big deals and the spotlight in New York or Los Angeles. Like he does look legitimately uncomfortable doing interviews. So I think he would be just as happy to stay where he is and win Stanley Cups. I mean, I could be totally wrong but I, I always argue with people like I don't know if he's going to leave after four years it'll be very interesting hey I got this text uh, Jimmy wants to know from you Peter how you uh-huh. think the Oilers and Flames will finish in the division and any chance the Canucks make the playoffs uh, the Canucks I truly believe they're a little banged up again on defense but Bruce Boudreaux has even put a lot of pressure on the situation, feeling like they, if they don't make the playoffs, um, it would be, I think he even used the word disaster. I think they're going to be better than people think. You know, as long as people can talk all they want about injuries don't matter, key injuries matter a lot. A lot. And as far as the Flames and the Oilers are concerned, I truly think that they'll be 1-2. I don't know which way it's going to go. And to be honest, I don't even care. Because the only thing I care about is winning. And you have to make the playoffs. Nobody ever should take that for granted in the NHL because it's incredibly hard to do. Mm -hmm. And the one reason I feel good about what I'm seeing in Calgary is I'm not... I'm not going to say they're going to win the division again. I'm not going to say that they're going to have 111 points again. But I am confident, barring big injuries, I just think they're going to be in a better position with their current personnel to handle the most important time of the year. But you've you've got to get there first. Last question for you, Peter. I, honestly, we talk about the game changing and everything like that, and I think he's a great coach. Obviously, got a two-year contract extension, but I honestly, man, two-year contact, contract extension, I saw that for Sutter, and I'm like, I, I couldn't think of a world where Daryl Sutter would have been back with the Calgary Flames in the first place, let alone get a two-year contract extension. Once again, I'm not saying that he's not worthy of it, but it's crazy, man. I thought once he left, went, won a cup, blah, 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 he'd go back to the ranch and not worry about coaching the Calgary Flames again. No, here's why I truly believe he signed the extension, is when things didn't work out for him as a GM, I think he truly feels like there's unfinished business that he can help change. And that's winning a championship. And I think the reason that he likely re-upped for two more years is after the deals that the general manager has made, I think he feels like in the next couple of years, this team could truly compete for a Stanley Cup. And I want to squeeze one more in here. Was it classless of him to take a perceived shot at Kachuk when they compared Toffoli with Kachuk and he said, hey, Kachuk, or Toffoli's had a long playoff run, a long Stanley Cup playoff run, and then when he said Huberto's the best passer he's ever seen, maybe a swipe at Goudreau? Um, I'll just say this about Daryl. 
Daryl cares about one thing: the people that are on his team, not that the not the people that aren't. And I I don't know how to read into it. Most people re- have read into it the way you do. I don't know how to read it. I think there would be some of that. But if you're Daryl Sutter, when a player decides that Calgary isn't where they want to be, he doesn't care anymore. Yeah. His job is to make the guys that are here the best they can be. I'll tell you what, I love the Edmonton Oilers, but I like Daryl Sutter. We need more Daryl Sutters and comments like that in the league. Same reason I like Tortorella in Philadelphia. Hey, uh, Lou, thanks for your time. Enjoy the call tomorrow. I'm glad you're healthy again. Okay. Be well, pal. Bye-bye. That's Peter Lubardius with Peter's Puck. When we come back, we got a pick six, and we'll also get to Aaron Anderson and your word of the day, too, for the Lucky Fan Contest. This is the Sports Cage. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. The Connexus Art Center, it is. The Sports Cage getting set for the Regina Thunder fundraising dinner, but it is time right now to get to another one of these. Six with Ballsy and friends as they get their take on six sports topics of the day. All right, so uh, these aren't six sports topics of the day. I actually jotted this down a while ago, a couple weeks ago, and we just never got to it. It's kind of one of those things we call in the industry an evergreen thing where you can use it at any time. These are, I know it's been a tumultuous Rough Rider season, a really down year. Uh, but these are six Rough Riders that I love watch playing. Okay, and I'll give one as an extra point too, okay? I love watching uh, Darnell Sankey play. Came in the tackles leader last week with 92 and and cleaned up once again. I, I love Darnell Sankey. What a great football player. His running mate in the linebacking court, number two player I love to watch in the Saskatchewan Rough Riders without, uh, without a doubt. Is Larry Dean. Larry Dean, number 11. This guy probably doesn't make the football team if um, Micah Tights doesn't have that groin injury. 33 going on 34, coming off an Achilles. This guy has been nothing but a professional. The unsung hero of that defense playing real good football at 33-34. Uh, started the year 33 years of age, now 34. Um I think you bring him back and see once again next year if he can keep it going here. Uh, fighting father time. Uh, he's not Tom Brady because he doesn't play a, uh, you know, kind of an easier position in terms of um, physicality. He plays that hard linebacking position. But I'll tell you what, this guy's been everything. Special teams on defense, heart and soul of the defense, Larry Dean. Number three player I love to watch, and we can be critical of Jeremy O'Day, and uh, some of that's warranted. But uh, 
he and his personnel staff picking up Kean Schaefer Baker in the fourth round of uh, draft a couple of years ago. This guy out of Guelph has been everything the Riders could want and more. Um, he's still got to mature a little bit, but he's a young guy uh, making big plays. He's had three good games in a row for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, including one last week. Four catches, I believe 93 yards or 7 and 93 and had a touchdown. His fifth of the year. He's closing in on a thousand yards. He's been the most productive of the Rough Rider um, receivers. Number four Rough Rider I love watching. He came in late last year in the linebacking core. They switched him to the secondary, and he's been outstanding. Had over 50 tackles going into last week's game. He had like seven knockdowns, guy had one interception, and was just, uh, he's been a steadying force in the back, in, in the back end for the Rough Riders. Doesn't wear a number I love. I don't even really consider it a number, number zero, but Roland Milligan has been outstanding, the former Indianapolis Colt, and really hoping the Riders bring him back next year. Uh, in fact, I don't see a way they don't bring him back. Uh, a veteran guy there in the secondary. Fifth favorite rider to watch, and these are in no particular order, Mario Alfred. Another guy, when we talk about what Jeremy O'Day has and hasn't done, we can put this one in the checkmark box. If not for Mario Alfred, uh, the Rough Riders special teams, where would it be? Guy's got a 112-yard missed field goal return for a touchdown. Guy's got a 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Uh, almost broke a punt return for a touchdown in the last matchup with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um this this guy has uh, done it all for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. In fact, he's got two kickoff returns for touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken, and a missed field goal return for a touchdown. Uh, really kick-started that uh, special teams in terms of the return game. Great pickup by Jeremy O'Day and his personnel staff for a late-round Canadian draft pick. And my sixth favorite Saskatchewan Rough Rider to watch, it's a tie between Dan Clark well, listen, I'll make Dan Clark my undisputed sixth favorite Rough Rider to watch. Yeah, Went out in week number two. This offensive line has really struggled. Comes back in that Winnipeg game. Gets hurt in that game. Goes back into the game. Uh, leads the way for the Cody seven-yard touchdown run. He has definitely been uh, a heart and soul guy for this team. The leader of this football team, Dan Clark. Uh then I've got two extra points here, okay? Two extra points, eight Saskatchewan Rough Riders that I'm mentioning here, but there's a couple others as well. Uh, Mike Adam gets an honorable mention. He's 33 years old. He's getting long in the tooth, but he absolutely throws his body in there. He plays with heart and soul on that team. Eh, maybe has lost a step in a couple of regards, but he is a versatile guy that can come up and make some plays and plays very physical. I love watching Mike Adam play, and I also love watching James Tuck play, and I've been very happy happy that the riders have given him an opportunity to um catch the ball out of the backfield three catches against the uh, winnipeg blue bombers a couple of weeks ago had one out in the left flats for about a 13 yard game that he fumbled but then recovered james tuck has been a nice addition a really good fullback room there along with albert awachi and bruno labelle but i like the way james tuck plays football on special teams too and also want to throw in uh, the 26 year old rookie played junior football in edmonton um, I believe with the Wildcats, if I'm not mistaken. And then he went to the Alberta Golden Bears, was a Can West All-Star. Um, his dad, and fa dad, Ryan, and family, uh, they travel 
uh, to all the games. The only game they didn't go to this year was the one in Hamilton last week. I'm talking about Jaden Dalkey, great player from the University of Alberta Golden Bears. He was a draft pick, uh, another find by the Rough Riders. Very good Canadian. It's come in when they've needed him on defense and for sure on special teams. So there you go. That's our pick six. When we come back, we got your luckiest fan contest word of the uh, day to uh, text and we're also going to hear from Aaron Anderson who is the uh, commissioner of the Regina High School Athletic Association this is the Sports Cage the kings of Saskatchewan sports talk this is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM Time now for a sports ticker here on the Sports Cage brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right, 781-2090. We've got a uh, NL Divisional Series. They're trying to get it underway here, Game 2 in Atlanta, but rain has delayed it. Phillies and the Braves, there's a Regina Thunder connection there. Stu Sherwater, the only Canadian Major League Baseball umpire, is uh, working the base paths for that the series. He's on the crew doing that one, that NLDS. So that's a nice little time. We're coming to you live from the uh, Thunder Dinner here at the Conexus Arts Center. That one gets going around, uh, the dinner that is, gets going around 6 o'clock with the program. Still to come tonight, my San Diego Padres in Los Angeles. They fell down 5 nothing to the Dodgers, rallied to get it to 5-3 in the 7th, but then they fell. 5-3 in game one of that series. The Dodgers have owned the Padres, so it'll be a Herculean long shot effort for my pods to come back in that series, but uh, we'll see what they can do tonight, and I don't think there'll be a rain delay at Chavez Ravine in Southern California. Uh, also, we've got a couple of Canadian matchups in the NHL tonight. The Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs will take to the ice soon. Leafs expected to get to the playoffs. Haven't won a world or a playoff series in a long time. Uh, and if they don't, uh, people will lose their job. Habs, depending who you listen to, are playing for... <laughs> well, they're playing for next season. And they're playing for next season to be in the running for Connor Bedard. By the way, speaking of Connor Bedard, he's in action tonight, carrying a, a seven-game point-scoring streak into to the contest with the PA Raiders. 7 o'clock face-off over at the Brand Center. Our pregame show right here on your voice of Pats Hockey. 6.20 CKRM begins with Dante DiCaria at 6.35. Just ahead of Aaron Anderson from the Regina High School Athletics uh, and the commissioner. We're going to, as we tee up high school football playoff action and some soccer too, uh, we're going to give you our luckiest fan contest Word of the day, okay? And so what happens here, this is a grand prize that includes two premium gold tickets to the 2022 Grey Cup game, four nights hotel, a pair of Ryderville passes, tickets to the CFL Players Award, Saturday night gala tickets, Sunday indoor and outdoor tailgate passes, weekend team party passes, 500 to spend at the Riders store, and an exclusive Grey Cup prize package from the CFL. Uh, a great prize pack, whether you're Rough Riders or in it or not. We have to support this thing and keep this league afloat and keep it growing. That is for sure. So don't turn your back on the Grey Cup. We are the lifeblood of CFL football, whether our team's in it or not. So I'm going to give you the word of the day right now, and you text that word to 936-6262, and we're making a big draw on October the 28th and let you know if you won that big prize pack. So text the word Riderville to 936-6262. Our text line powered by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac. It is time now to head out on the Western Pizza Hotline. 
Joined now on the phone by Aaron Anderson, the commissioner of the Regina High School Athletics Association. Man, it's hard to believe the regular season winding down here and into the playoffs for high school football as the uh, leaves change color and fall off the trees. They're mostly off the trees now with this wind, Aaron. Um, uh, what do we got on tap this week? And a little interesting thing that you guys kind of have adopted or s- stolen from Saskatoon, so to speak. Yeah, we didn't really uh, steal it, but we certainly adopted some of what they've been doing for a number of years. Uh, they've got 16 teams in their league. We've only got 12, so it allows for them to uh, create some crossover competitive balance situations. So we looked at this with our coaches back last December. We came up with a couple proposals at our April meeting, took it to our June council where uh, the administration voted on it, and we're going to give this a try. It's kind of like a power ranking system where we've got our top four 6A teams playing off against one another this week. And then we've got our bottom two 6A against the top two 5A, which is very unique. And then we've got the bottom four 5A playing off against one another. So it should lead for some excitement and uh, get some teams ready for the playoffs next week. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a tune-up for the playoffs and just to add some competitive balance and uh, different variety, I guess. Yeah, that's 100% correct. And, like, uh, there, there are schools that are excited about this. Like, you know, Greenall's playing Noel, Johnson's playing Campbell. Those games haven't happened for, like, a number of years uh, of course, uh, Noel used to be 5A, but that was back, uh, well, probably 10 years ago. So it's nice to see them uh, renew acquaintances. And then, of course, uh, Johnson and Campbell, same situation. They used to play against each other, but it was a number of years back. So uh, definitely gives some teams different looks. So let's look at the uh, 6A playoffs. It, it, it obviously, no surprise, Miller's to lose, basically. There's going to have to be some sort of Herculean effort or some sort of severe uh, foot-off-the-gas pedal type of situation for Miller not to win, I would think. Well, they're just so solid. I mean, they're deep on both sides of the ball. They've got, you know, depth at where their second stringers are as good as their first stringers. So if somebody goes down, they don't lose anything. Uh, you have to remember, they've won two provincial titles since 2018. So they're no, it's not new to them to have success. And they're just rolling with it. And uh, they've got, uh, you know, they're they're well coached and uh, definitely playmakers on both sides of the ball and and young like they're really good next year too so uh, they're not going away anytime soon so who would challenge them if they had to have a challenger in your opinion and you're you're supposed to be uh neutral so you're not cheering for any of these teams but you're just giving me you're my insider who would be who would be kind of a, a challenger a legitimate threat well, Riffle finished two and Leboldus three, and when they played each other, Riffle really laid it on Leboldus. But since then, Leboldus has won two straight. They've scored almost 100 points in two games. Uh, they've discovered that uh, Mazer can run the rock and catch it. Uh, he's been all-purpose dual threat the last couple weeks. Uh, so don't count out Leboldus. Like, uh, you know, Sean Ford running the offense there. Uh, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them give Riffle all they can handle in a semifinal if they're to play one another. What about 5A? Can you give us a handle on the 5A scene? I did call a couple of games, or what, one for sure public address, and I was at a couple of other games. Uh, Johnson's always near the top, Green all. Just tell us about those teams. Yeah, Johnson's been, they've been the surprise of the league this year for sure. Uh, young coaching staff there, they've got players bought in. Uh, they, they've got a really good running game. So, of course, in this wind, uh, that certainly helps. Uh, Greenall finished first, Johnson second. Greenall's good both sides of the ball, really good defense again. 
uh, young team. They've got less than 10 grade 12, so uh, it's not one of Corey Lechner's more seasoned teams, but uh, game solid. Uh, don't count out Sheldon, Martin Luther. They've been competitive as well, so uh, they can they can certainly give uh, Greenall and Johnson good games in the semifinals next week. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Aaron, and maybe things have changed. This has kind of bothered me, and I say this as a guy who went through the Catholic system myself as a young guy, who's had kids go through the Catholic system. My son played at Riffle, uh, so uh, you know if my tax dollars were going somewhere, it was going to the separate school. So I'm telling you that right off the get go. But I don't like how there are restrictions in terms of where you can play, uh, go to school and play high school football. I'm using that as an example. It would be for any sport. But there are no restrictions. So there are restrictions on the public school side, but not the separate school side. And I think that adds to a competitive unbalance. Is that still the case? And have you heard from coaches that they're upset about that? Because I look at Miller. I look at the boldness. Those teams are always good, but they got kids not in their area playing at those schools. Let's be honest. I have to be very impartial on this one, Michael. Uh, These are school division decisions that are far above my head. Uh, I know in Saskatoon, for example, there's no borders in either Saskatoon public or Saskatoon Catholic. Uh, Here, as you correctly mentioned, there are in Regina Catholic, or in Regina public rather, uh, no borders in Regina Catholic, so it's a little bit more of an open system. Uh, it certainly, you know, it looks obviously on the fabric that Regina Catholic is dominating. Uh, high school sport is cyclical. It changes over uh, the course of years. Uh, but certainly in the last few, Virginia Catholics uh, had a really good run. All right, and I, I, I appreciate you're in a difficult situation, but I did want to get that out there because I've heard it uh, in the past, and I, it has rankled the feathers. And quite frankly, like I said, I've been through the separate school, so I'd be, quote-unquote, perceived to be on the right side. I just don't I make it competitive, so to speak. Hey, but besides football, man, besides football, what else do we got going on the high school athletic scene right now? Oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. It's uh, full speed ahead. We've got... Uh... Uh, so- Super Soccer Saturday set up for October 15th at Liable. Five bucks adults gets you in all four games. We've got 4A girls at 10, 4A boys at 12, 10, 5A girls 220, 5A boys 430. Uh, the boys had their semifinals last night, so Lavelle and Palmer playing in the 4A boys city final, and it's Campbell O'Neill in the 5A boys. Uh, our 5A and 4A girls, their semifinals are tonight. Uh, so we will know city finalists by tomorrow and then ready to roll Saturday. Awesome, man. Well, this is your source for uh, high school athletics with our great man here, Aaron Anderson, doing great work behind the scenes and in front of the scenes because he's joining us here, the uh, commissioner of the Regina High School Athletics Association. Have yourself a great day, Aaron. You too, Mike, and I really appreciate you having me on. CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. 
This is Football 101, a look at CFL news and notes with the Professor Don Hewitt. That's right. We got Dandy Don Hewitt on the line. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the show is brought to you by our friends over there at spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM, and they'll match your first deposit of 25 to $250. We're coming to you live from the Conexus Art Center, where the Saskatchewan Rough Riders will have a flavor mixed in with the Regina Thunder dinner tonight. Jeremy O'Day, Logan Ferlin, and Dan Clark will all be in a hot stove type of interview situation with yours truly. Michael Ball, and of course, the O-line, a hot-button topic around here, so we will get to that. Welcoming your text at 936-6262. Our text line is powered by Capital GMC Buick Cadillac, the number one GM dealership in Saskatchewan at the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua. I want to thank uh, Nick Katzmar doing a great job operating in place of Sean Kleisinger, who's been hit by his second round of COVID, and he is now uh, recovering and should be back and ready to go by next week. So thanks to Nick for stepping in here. He's been a nice addition to our staff. And also want to thank Curtis and Ryan from our engineering staff for setting us up here at the Conexus Art Center for the Regina Thunder fundraising dinner. Let's head out in the Western Pizza Hotline Football 101, we call it, with Dandy Don Hewitt, the professor. Uh, Don, uh, you've been around a long time. Not saying that to take a shot at your age, but you've watched the Rams go to junior football, then to university, and the Rams replaced by the Regina Prairie Thunder, now the Regina Thunder. Uh, what a great organization this is. I love junior football because, um, I mean, you can get the stars of tomorrow today right from the junior football ranks. Well, when you take a look at our population, I think Ball's the Saskatchewan just hit a couple of weeks ago 1.2 million, so we're really booming here. But let's face it, we're a smaller province population-wise uh, compared to the other ones outside of the Maritimes. And when you think of the, the, the football programs that we have in this province, it's really quite amazing. And, you know, it's, it's all part of trickling down from the popularity of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I really believe it is. I mean, what province with a population this small could field two university football teams of, who are currently one and two in Canada West, and then they field two uh, premier junior football teams with, of course, the Hilltops and the Thunder. And right now, of course, the Thunder having a great season, uh, a tremendous season, and are legitimate contenders for the Canadian Junior Championship. So. Uh, football is still alive and well, and we—I mean, you go to that facility at Libel Field, and you just—it's jaw-dropping, you know, when you look at it uh, for what uh, this city has for minor football. So, you know, uh, the CFL might be struggling, but it's not struggling in Saskatchewan in any way, shape, or form. I know if the Rough Riders are having a better year on the field, there wouldn't be any talk about attendance at all. Well, you know what? It's hilarious because you you've said a couple of words I want to want to touch on, uh, and and we hear about attendance and attendance is down. The riders drive football in this province for interest uh, from the from the little guys all the way up, but they drive interest in the league. Uh, when attendance is down, it's yeah. down because rider fans aren't traveling. It's the Green Bay Packer effect. The Green Bay Packer fans travel everywhere. Minnesota Viking fans travel everywhere. Buffalo Bill fans travel everywhere. Those kind of Midwest to, to you know northeastern places, they, they yeah. love their football. They travel. The riders do too when they win. When they don't win, uh, the, all boats aren't floating at a high level because the riders are down and interest is down. 
Well, I mean, I got bad news for TSN uh, this weekend. Their ratings will be down. That's a fact because Saskatchewan's not playing. And there's a a commonality. Uh, if you take a look at North America and the the mid part of North America, and you see this in North Dakota uh, with your son playing uh, college football down there, you take a, a, a strip right down the center and it's all football country. I mean, you know, you go Saskatchewan, Manitoba, uh, Alberta, a little bit iffy with attendance right now in the CFL, obviously, but if you go straight down, uh, you've been there through Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, a lot of the same politics, uh, a lot of the same landscape, and a love for football. And uh, that's common. And uh, for whatever reason, the flatter the land, the more you love football. And uh, so <laughs> football, football is healthy do. here. It's healthy right down the, the center of, of North American continent until you hit the Mexican border by and large. Yeah. Hey, uh, Professor, you used another word I want to touch on, jaw-dropping. That is how I. That is a great way to describe the Riders' performance on the offensive line. Jaw-dropping. Jaw-droppingly bad. I was very surprised after the way uh, the Saskatchewan offensive line uh, played generally in Winnipeg with pass protection with, you know, Dan Clark, uh, Ferland, and Vaughn back on that left side that... They allowed so many sacks after the Winnipeg game in Hamilton. I believe it was seven. That was jaw-dropping, I thought, because I just didn't think that would happen with those veterans. But, you know, it's it's crazy because, you know, we, we, we're always hoping for a good crop in Saskatchewan, and that translates, and we're always hoping for miracles for our football team. I think they go hand-in-hand. Hand. And, you know, when you saw what Bob Dice did, in Ottawa, over the weekend, actually, it was in Montreal for Ottawa, where they clearly showed they weren't playing for Paul Lapolice, and they wanted to play for Bob Dice, and they defeat Montreal in a big game for the Alouettes. Uh, we'll see what happens when they're back in Ottawa against Montreal, but it, it gave absolutely new hope for Rough Rider fans that they could actually still make the playoffs because the Ottawa uh, Red Blacks might knock off the Hamilton Tiger Cats now, the way they're playing under Bob Dice. And if you take a look at what could happen here, uh, if Hamilton goes into Calgary this weekend and loses, which is the likely scenario, uh, then if if Ottawa can beat Hamilton just one game, then Saskatchewan only has to defeat Calgary once. And that would be home in the 22nd, and they should have Lanier back. They should have Duke Williams back. And my, oh my, wouldn't that be a stunner if Saskatchewan made the playoffs? So my motto is, don't say anything too much. Don't get going too far until this thing's actually over because yeah. crazier things can happen. Yeah, no, that's true, Don. But that that leads me to a question that I, uh, listen, I am not a prisoner of the moment. I asked this yesterday. What would it take for us not to have any changes or to run it back, I think, is the way I, I had it. Um I, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. I'm not just saying that because I'm the voice of the team. You know me. I say it like it is uh, sometimes to my character. Yeah, right. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't know one season if you blow it up. Like, like if you look at this foot, Don, you were around a lot longer than me. And now I know times have changed, and you're not in it for silver medals and everything like that. I get it. But Don, this is a football team that had 
you know, uh, a, a decent 2017, a good, you know, almost went to the Grey Cup in 2017 as a crossover. 2018, uh, lost the home playoff game. The coach leaves late to go to the NFL, so Craig Dickinson takes the job. And he could say, well, he's happy to be the head coach. But I think Craig Dickinson stepped in at the last minute because, well, let's face it, they couldn't get Paul LaPolice here. So Craig Dickinson comes in, takes over the team. They're a goalpost away from getting to the Grey Cup. Then the next year, they have 18 guys on the injured reserve, including five guys that blow their Achilles out at the start of the year. Larry D, Nelson mm-hmm. Lacombo, the list goes on and on. And they almost get back to the Grey Cup. And then this is a really bad year where even worse things happen to this football team. So I, I don't know, man. I'm not one for just blowing it all up. Because when you blow it all up, who are you replacing them with? That's the key. Well, I mean, you know, we listen to the, the post-game callers. And you listen to the callers on, on, on the sports cage who want blood. Uh, well, you understand why they want blood. That comes with the territory with uh, having lost this many ball games uh, since that Marino game. Uh, but I've always said uh, it really, uh, I don't really see the need for change until there's a thorough evaluation of the football team at season's end. And the argument I have for that is because the O'Day Dickinson combo in the first two years, both years, of course, as you just said, went went to the Western final, and both close games, a few breaks here and there, could have been in the Grey Cup. Uh, you take a look at, say, a guy like Paul LaPolice. Well, they fired him a, a few weeks ago, but he'd never been, you know, in a Western final as a head coach. He didn't have, you know, that much success as a head coach that way, whereas Craig Dickinson did. So, I think we have to sort of calm down. Uh, we're all disappointed, uh, very disappointed. Uh, and Jeremy O'Day will be <laughs> he'll be getting live bullets tonight, and he'll handle himself well. But I think we have to calm down we're, uh, and check out what's going to happen with the rest of this year and then make a thorough analysis of what I think is going to happen. And a lot of people won't, won't like it if I say this, but... I don't. I mean, Craig Reynolds isn't going to go anywhere running the business operation. I don't believe, and I don't believe Jeremy O'Day is going to lose his job because he has a disappointing season uh, over a, a three campaigns. I doubt it. Is Craig Dickinson's job up for grabs? It's possible. It's possible. But we'll see what happens. But I think the head coach, uh, you know, if he does survive, then you might see some changes in his coaching staff. That's for sure. Now, that will happen guaranteed. I wonder if Cody and Jason aren't on the same page. Like, I just wonder. Everybody wanted Stephen McAdoo out of here. They wanted him done. I did the call-in show with you. They run the guy out of town. Terrible. Jason Moss comes here. He's been good everywhere he's gone. And I know the offensive line, uh, you know, has had its issues, and that affects everything, okay? Especially when you lose your center two games into the season. But I just wonder if those two guys aren't on the same page because Cody has regressed. You know, I really think it comes down to how the personalities mesh over the actual X's and O's. Now, in in 2019, as you said, the offensive coordinator was fired uh, shortly after the Western final. We think part of it was bumming up that play down at the one-yard line uh, where they couldn't poke it into the end zone. But if you if you think about it, of course, there's a bunch of different reasons why 89 or I don't know, I'm sorry, 19 was better, and another 
set of reasons why the last two years uh, weren't better. But I always thought that McAdoo's personality sort of quieter. Like, he wasn't super quiet, but just sort of a calmer personality meshed better with Cody. Uh, I don't know if, if, you know, his current offensive coordinator, Jason Moss, is as calm. And I think Cody's the kind of quarterback that needs, like, a quarterback whisperer, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like a Dickinson or a Trestman, one of these guys that uh, whispers into that ear and seems to create magic with quarterbacks. And, you know, I, I think Cody's a sensitive individual, and I think he he needs sort of a lot of positive reinforcement with his personality. And I don't know if the combo of Moss and Cody is working, uh, but I also know that Jason Moss has called some good plays that were not executed. And, yeah, uh, sure. you know, he, he had it dialed up and it wasn't executed. I wanted to finish before we go to the pause. I wanted to say one thing about, you know, people are going to be saying, oh, Don, you're an idiot. O'Day's got to go. Coach's got to go. Everybody's got to go. I think it's a different story for Jeremy O'Day if next season they don't have a very good football team. Then it changes. And also, any general manager is usually going to get a second coach. And he hasn't had a second coach if Craig loses his job. So those are things to consider. But if Jeremy O'Day survives, or if Craig survives next year, then I think jobs will really be on the line. Well, who? here's the thing before I let you go. If you did make a move at head coach, and I'm not advocating that, uh, not just because he's my friend. I Once again, I'm, I'm saying to blow it up, continuity is something that some of the great football teams, Pittsburgh, the Patriots, uh, the Calgary Stampeders. Yep. I mean, the Stampeders had an off year last year. They weren't that good in terms of record-wise. They had to come here for a playoff game. They lost to the Riders in a playoff game. You know what I mean? So it wasn't uh, their special teams historically great let them down. So so, I mean, who is better than Craig Dickinson? I mean, you could make a case maybe for Mark Killen, but he's an unknown. Jason Shivers on the staff, he's an unknown. Um, Kahari Jones, he hasn't gone any farther. Uh, Paul LaPolice did get to a great cup with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as a head coach. But after that, his record has been abysmal. Um, I mean, just, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe Mark Tressman if he wants to come back to the CFL. That's what I'm saying. When you're firing guys, who are you replacing them with that are better? Well, that's a very good question. I mean, uh, right now... Uh you know, you'd have to, if you go back to Jeremy O'Day, you'd say, well, who's who's the number one guy that they could bring in if Jeremy were to lose a job? Well, it's probably Danny McManus if they can talk him out of leaving Winnipeg. But, you know, that's different than the head coach, as you said. Who is the obvious candidate to come in as head coach? And I don't, I can't think of one that's like standing there like a McManus possibly is in terms of the coach. I can't think of anybody that's right there either. I mean, Mark Trestman had great success, but, you know, he's, I believe, 65, 66 years old. It's such a grind. It's such a physical grind. Uh, that's very exhausting for a man that age, as far as I know and I believe. But, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, they're going to have to think about who they could replace Craig with while they're discussing whether he should keep his job at the same time. I mean, well, exactly. at, at the, at, you've got to have, yeah. have a good alternative. At the end of the day, Huey, like you said, they could still get into the playoffs, do something, and then this is all a moot point. So the game, the, the, the season is not over, although it does appear lost. Thanks for your time, Don. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, Bobby.
Don Hewitt, Football 101 with the Professor. When we come back, 30 years ago on this day, a couple of cool things happened. We'll talk to Kelly Rempel, our WHL insider, about that. It has nothing to do with the WHL, but it, well, I'll tell you about it when we come back. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca, live from the Conexus Arts Center at the Regina Thunder Fundraising Dinner. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Roughriders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the Mighty 620 CKRM. All right, welcome back to the Connexus Arts Center getting set for the Regina Fun, uh, Thunder Fundraising Dinner. Here it's going to be great. Uh, Jeremy O'Day, Logan Furl, and Dan Clark on a hot stove edition uh, up there after dinner. I'll be interviewing them. Uh, should be a great time. And it's a sold-out dinner, so great on the Thunder for selling out the dinner and the uh, first time they've had it since COVID. All right, 30 years ago today, two things happened. Mighty Ducks, the movie, came out. Disney Plus has it now in a series. And this happened in Saskatoon. It's Yes, indeed. In Saskatoon, uh, Bret Hart beat Ric Flair. First time he held the WWF title then. Joining me is his friend Kelly Rempel, our WHL insider, who is a Pats marketing guru, and that's how he ended up becoming friends with Bret Hart, bringing him in for an autograph session. Do you remember that night? or Because or, it was like, I don't know if it was a dark match, but it was, it was weird. It wasn't at one of their big events, Kelly. Well... Okay, so Baldy, here's an interesting little story for you, a side note story. So I remember I was I was working that um, Monday. I was actually working for the Moose Jaw Warriors at the time. And there was a kid who's actually from Regina. His name's Scott DeCarmi. And he walked into the Warrior office and he says, Ramps, I got these two front row tickets to the WWF tonight in the at the Agrodome, and I can't go. He says, do you want them? Because otherwise they're not going to get used. So I found a buddy. We went. We're sitting there. And I guess I knew that the night before that they were wrestling in Saskatoon. Because I, I do remember, I did remember seeing some of the, you know, the advertisements during the wrestling show that they were coming to Regina on the Monday and, they, and Saskatoon on the Sunday. But frankly, like anybody else, when it's just a regular house show and it's not a pay-per-view and it, there's nothing special about it, you don't really think anything's going to happen. So we're all sitting in our seats and the ring announcer comes in the ring and starts saying, and remember everybody, no videos allowed and don't touch the wrestlers and blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, and it was a she, she, the ring announcer says, last night in Saskatoon, the WWF crowned a new world champion. And there was kind of this weird sort of murmur over the audience because Ric Flair was the champion at the time. And she right. said, the, the new WWF champion is none other than Canada's own Brett, the hitman. And I'm telling you, <laughs> the building just came unhinged at the Brand Center. Or, well, it was the Agrodome at the time because people were in shock. Like, this this just kind of, as you said a moment ago, it just happened out of absolutely nowhere. Nobody could believe it. And then when I was watching the show the following weekend, sure enough, they've got this this footage of, of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, of all places. They didn't even know how to pronounce it. Saskatchewan yeah. so, on the... 
<laughs> so, Kel- so Kelly, so Kelly, just talk about because you've been around the wrestling game through your affiliation with the Brett. You've lo- you've watched lots of cool people. You know, kind of the back st- uh, back stories behind all this stuff. But just talk about what a big deal it is to get that strap put on you. You're the face of the company. It's it's huge. Like I think that there would be a lot of people, and you could sort of understand why they would think this. Um, the times have changed a little bit. I, I would say that back then, it's probably a bigger deal to be the world champion than it is now. And I don't, I don't say that with any disrespect to the talent now. But back then, the cat wasn't completely out of the bag in terms of what wrestling is. And, you know, like people just weren't. They knew that, they knew that it wasn't quite a legitimate sport, but they weren't really exactly 100% sure to what extent. And the bottom line is, is that yes, wrestling is choreographed and wrestling is what it is. You know, it's entertainment. It's not real sport. But the champion is the guy who's drawing all the money. The champion is the guy that they, that they basically say you're going to lead the company and you're going to be in the main event every night. And you're the face of the, of the organization and you're the guy that's putting bums in seats. So the, the champion is the guy that's making all the serious, serious money. And that's a huge vote of confidence for anybody um, that has that spot. And it was not an easy time to be champion because wrestling was on a bit of a downward spiral after, you know, Hulkamania, remember in the 80s? Yeah. And um, so it, 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 wrestling had not been quite what it had been a few years earlier. So for Brett, you know, to get that opportunity, that was, I'm sure, well, to this day, he says the greatest night of his wrestling life was that night in Saskatoon 30 years ago today when Vince gave him the opportunity to carry the torch. All right. Uh, short on time here, Kelly, but I know he's your friend, so maybe take the pink sunglasses off or keep them on. I don't care. Uh, where does he rank in terms of WWF slash E champions? Are you talking uh, as an in-ring performer or just as a, as a main event box office? <laughs> you know what? I knew, I knew you'd get technical on me with that. I knew exactly that's how you'd respond, and I'm happy about that. I don't know. what, what Just okay, the, whole I, encom- I think, the whole encompassing he, thing. Okay, well, okay, so in-ring, I believe that Brett is the great. Him and Shawn Michaels are the greatest two athletes slash wrestlers the company's ever had. Period. Okay. There's, there's okay. never been a better champion from an actual wrestling perspective. But when you take a look at box office, even I can't deny that, you know, Hulk Hogan, Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Rock would have, would have drawn more money. But he would certainly be in the top 10 in terms of box office of all time. Yeah, I agree, and, and in terms of gimmicks too, like that was just a great gimmick. And and when when they did the Canada versus U.S. thing, that was that was major heat in the late nineties. Yeah, and it had never been done. It had never been done. Nobody, in fact, they've tried it since, and to lukewarm response. But yeah, that that Canada U.S. thing where he was a hero in Canada, Germany, England, South Africa, Japan. Everywhere on the planet absolutely loved and adored him, but they absolutely hated him in the United States. And that was such an interesting storyline. And, uh, but you know, you know, there's, and just quickly, there's, there's more of it than just, yeah. you know, box office. There's merchandise. So, you know, Brett had the sunglasses and the really cool mm-hmm. shirts. There's so much that encompasses, you know, uh, sales in terms of being a great champion. And he definitely would be, wrestling wise, the best 
ever, for, for sure. Uh, him can't, and Shawn Michaels. Can't disagree. Box yeah, office. Can't, di- can't disagree with you at all. Kelly, thanks for your time. We'll have you back next week, our WHL insider, but he's well-versed on a number of things. Thanks for your time. Take care, Kelly. Off to the uh, Brand Center. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Yeah, the Brand Center tonight, Pats and the PA Raiders, 635 pregame show, 7 o'clock faceoff. I didn't ask Kelly. I wonder if he's headed off to help Dante DiCaria with the call. When we come back, we'll hear from Farhan Lalls. you got lots to get to there. And we're also going to have a Where Are They Now segment on Wednesday with a little Regina Thunder flavor. Mike Kelly from the NHL Network and John Hodge, too, from Three Down Nation. This is the Sports Cage from the Thunder Fundraising Dinner at the Conexus Arts Center. The Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage, and it's time to head out on the Western Pizza Hotline speak with Farhan Lalji. Farhan, thanks for taking my call, running a little behind here. Uh, I got this uh, Paul from Victoria listening on our app. He said, please ask Farhan if he really thinks Nathan Rourke comes back for the Lions this year. He was working out on a limited basis, Farhan. What do you think? Uh, long shot. If I was going to bet, I'd say 60-40 that he doesn't play again this year. Um, and partly because if he doesn't play, I'm not sure they're going to advance, right, beyond uh, beyond uh, the first round of the playoffs, right? So, um, he, you know, he was out there working with quarterbacks, right? He was taking part in the individual por- portions of practice, didn't do any skellier team. And you could see by he, the way he was moving, you know, very flat-footed, very uh, conservative and cautious, as he should be, given where he's at. But... Certainly, it's a good sign. I mean, you saw him out of practice all the time for for a while, and then uh, for the last couple of weeks, the, the team medical staff uh, and surgeons have said, "Look, we need you to change what you're doing and, and get off your feet a bit more and have your foot elevated and things like that." So he did that. Um, some people kind of viewed that as a setback, but it really wasn't. It was just kind of part of where he needed to be at that stage. Now he can move around a bit more, and you know he's going to push. He wants to play. The club is hopeful he can play. Uh, they're going to go through all those steps. You know, is there a chance? Uh, that he, you know, could be in uniform for the final game of the regular season and take a series or two to knock the rust off or, you know, just be available for the playoff game if needed. Like, all that is is there. But I, like I said, I if I was betting, if I had to bet, I still think it's a little bit optimistic. Okay, so Farhan, suppose he gets back. Suppose he rolls to a unbelievable playoff run. This is what I've always said. And this would be a prime example of it. Should awards in any league be handed out after the season, like voted on once the playoffs are done, once everything is done? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, and I think in many leagues, the playoffs have their own awards, right? And you can get recognized that way. And you want to have um, awards judged based on an equal number of games and circumstances for everybody. And some would say, look, the guys that go farther and go deeper and play well in those big games should be rewarded for that. And, and that's fair, but I mean, these, these are team sports, so I kind of get it. You know, I like, it, I, I gotta be honest, it's nothing I've had a heavy, strong opinion on. I've been asked this question before. I mean, if they want me to factor in, I, I get a vote. I'm sure you get a vote. If they want me to factor in the playoffs, I will. If they don't, they won't. You know, but the problem with this league, is, honestly, Ballsy, is that so much can happen with an inferior they're the names we speak with reverence or scream out loud. The names that help define us, inspire us, and build the game that we all love.
Love. Each Wednesday on the Sports Cage, we flash to the past with a legend to see if there is indeed life beyond the scoreboard. This is Where Are They Now? Well, and of course, we're coming to you live from the Conexus Arts Center here, getting set for the Regina Thunder's fundraising dinner. Jeremy O'Day, Logan Ferlin, and Dan Clark will all be on the stage with yours truly. We'll have a little fireside chat, so that'll be real nice. Great fundraising effort for an up-and-coming and solid junior football team. One of the guys who helped put this team on the map back in the early days, John Mackey, former LaBolda's Golden Sun, after his Thunder days, would go on to play with the Manitoba Bisons and lead them to a Vanier Cup championship in 2007, the day before the Rough Riders would win the Grey Cup against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at the same Sky Dome. He is still in Winnipeg. He's coached the Bisons after he played there and, of course, dabbled a bit in high school football coaching as well. He currently is working in Winnipeg at MSC Industrial Supply, and it's time to catch up with him in the Where Are They Now segment. John, thanks for joining me. How has football changed from when you were an up-and-coming player? Well, you know, it's it's getting a lot more serious. Uh, I'll say that. it's um, You know, kids are 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 getting more um, specialized in the sport, and you know I'm I'm from the old school and and still tell kids you know play as much sports as you can for as long as you can, uh, but you know it, it's it's a lot more um, specialized. I, I think that's the best word to describe it. Like from from the kids that are growing up in the sport, they're very intense about about their future to it, and they're really trying to make something out of it. Like with uh, the university uh, game. Um, um, anywhere in Canada, you know, as well as that's that's another thing that um, I've noticed quite a bit is that kids are more willing to travel outside of that, uh, you know, outside of their hometown to move to a school, you know, out east or out west, a, a little bit more than you know when I grew up in Regina. Uh, you know, you had your two options: it was yeah. uh, U of R, or U of S, uh, or the junior route. And so, uh, kids are a little bit more exposed. Uh, the recruiting game. Um, is 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 now like the the norm of nationwide recruiting. So, um, it, it, like I said, it, it it increases the uh, the intensity for the kids. They get specialized. They want to get to scholarship. There's opportunities right across the country. Look back on your uh, Thunder days for me, and and your thoughts playing junior football. Uh, it, it was such a great experience. Uh, I look back, and, and and the more I think about it, and I, I make a, made a comment there that the older that I get, the better that I was, you know, like <laughs> yeah, back yeah. on all the time that's uh, playing, but you, you think back on it and it's, it's more of the people that you played with and the coaches that uh, you were associated with and, and learned the game as well as life lessons from. And if, if there's one thing that, uh, the, you know, the top five quarterback I saw that it was great to see uh, the name up there and in, in the top five ranking still. Um, you know, but it does reflect on the times that uh, you think back on all the players that you played with and the coaches and, and a lot of what you, you teach or, or were taught, you, you teach out, out on the field today. So um, it, it was just a, <laughs> it, was, it was nice to see uh, myself. And of course, Jordan Yance on, on there, he's, uh, he, was, he was a guy that uh, we recruited out to U of M. Um, you know, he, he can't, uh, you know, he, he was crushing all of the records in the passing side of things. He's from Regina, Saskatchewan. And I mm-hmm. said, well, coach, we we have to recruit this kid. You know, like this is going to be the guy. So he, he joined us in uh, with the Bison when we made our run to the Vanier Court. Uh, we got out of our conference there with uh, with Jordan. So that was cool to just 
you know, uh, you know, remind Jordan that I'm still I'm still behind him in, in certain categories. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's uh, we're we're still in the top five, and it's it's cool to see as many Regina quarterbacks on that top five list. Well, you know, like the from the Rams from. West Shore Rebels from Vancouver Trojans or the Prairie Thunder, there's uh, there's a ton of talent, and I always say that to Coach Doby too. It's like if you're looking for your for your next quarterback, just travel five hours down uh, down west, and you'll find them in Regina. Yeah, you know what? And, and what do you make of that, John? Okay, so off the top of my head, uh, John Mackey, Jordan Yance. Um, J- Marwick's another one. We've got Picton. We've got Donnelly. We've got Nias with the U of S Huskies. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. Uh, you know, there's a Sawyer Bittner. We've got so many guys here from Regina and surrounding area. What, what do you think that is? I think it, it's deeply rooted in the, in the history of, of uh, football in Saskatchewan. And and my hat goes off to to the people at uh, in the office at Football Saskatchewan and how they develop their their game from the grassroots all the way to junior football. Um, you always are learning how to pass. You're not afraid to scare or, or to throw the ball in games. It's not always, I've had a ton of co- conversations with coaches about, you know, we have to get a certain amount of passes in, in a game before, you know, like then we'll, then we'll run, even though if they have a star running back in that, in the backfield, mm-hmm. they're still going to be working on the fundamentals of throwing the ball. And uh, I'm I'm proud, you know, to 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 be a part of that, uh, you know, the football Saskatchewan. And I did end up uh, spending some time in in office with Football Manitoba, <laughs> and it, you know, I just looked over to Jeff Yowsey or Michael Thomas and just be like, "What are you guys doing for this?" Because I'm going to do the exact same thing over here, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and and we have seen, you know, I'm I'm, I'm proud to see uh, the, the the sport. Uh, develop here in Manitoba, and, and we got a couple of uh, quarterbacks coming up as well. You know, like through the ranks, mm-hmm. uh, Andre Duick out in McMaster. Uh, there's a fantastic kid that uh, we had at St. Paul's going out to uh, uh, going out east as well. So you know, it's it, it's it's something that is, is developed in the grassroots game to understand the whole grand scheme of things of the passing game. Because in 12 man football, it can get a little bit confusing. You know, in the in the in the past sets, and if you're not exposed to that at a young age, it's it's it just creates a little bit more difficulty at uh, when you get older. Mm-hmm. But that, I, I believe that's that's wholeheartedly the reason why you get all of these studs coming out of Regina, Saskatchewan, behind center because of the grassroots programs that uh, football Saskatchewan and, and all the all the coaches right across the the province. You know, from the small small towns to uh, the bigger cities in Saskatchewan, you will always have that unified and consistent voice right across there. And it's, it's it, you know, coming from Manitoba, I'll tell you right now, it's 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 a bit intimidating. Yeah. So, so you talked you talked about going. You know, a lot of kids just stay here close to home, especially back when you were playing. But now they're starting to spread their wings. What kind of advice would you have for a, a young kid who's uh, who's who's looking to maybe expand his wings and fly away, fly the coop, fly away from home? Because you did it going to Manitoba. Although you were an older guy because you played junior first. That's right. Yeah, I'd say get exposed to as much football as you can, and. Um, if if you're if you're planning to leave home, um, make sure that it's the right situation. Um, school wise, um, that's first and foremost. You know, if you're going to be an engineer and you want to go to the best engineering school and then play for the football team, you know, like in short, 
Um, but then on the football side, if you're really, you know, um, interested on the football side, go look at their offense, look at their defense, look at their schematics and see how you would fit in there. You know, the, the control is, is more in your, in, on your side when you're looking to make that jump. So make the right choice and you can control that process by looking what you, you provide to the school as a whole, mm-hmm. um, your profession and as well as your athletic set. So that's, that's typically what I give kids who are looking to, get out of Manitoba and we really want them at the Bison's. Like, okay. All right. Yeah. If you're going to make this choice, make sure it's the right school uh, for you in, in your career, because there's life after football, even after you're done, you gotta, you gotta find a way to make money too. So yeah. that's first and foremost. Yeah. And then the second thing is, you know, play it to your athletic uh, skill set. And our thanks to John Mackey, former Thunder quarterback, for joining us here in the Where Are They Now segment. It's brought to you by Floor Coverings International. Need new flooring? Floor Coverings International at the Design Hub brings the showroom to you with thousands of samples. Visit FloorCoveringsInternational.com today. We'll have more of the Sports Cage coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. We're going to hear from Mike Kelly of the NHL Network, and we'll also be joined by John Hodge from Three Down Nation. You're listening to the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKR. With Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk, this is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. All right, time to wrap up the last half an hour of the show. We kick it off in fine style with the NHL Network's Mike Kelly. Mike, welcome back to the airwaves for us anyway. Hockey is back. It's great to talk to you again. And let's get right into it. What a night for the Rangers, Zibanejad. My goodness. Yeah, good to be back talking hockey again. And uh, that guy looked like he was ready for the playoffs to start. (laughs) Not game one of the season. Holy moly. New York? Like, I, I had the Rangers pegged as a team that might take a bit of a step back. A lot of things went well for them last year. And, and even so, they're still going to be very good. But they had such a monster year. They looked incredible. And Zibanejad led the way. Uh, nine shots on goal, more than anybody. He had three looks off the rush, more than anybody. He scored a couple of goals, almost at the hat trick, but he hit the empty net off the post. Um, man, shorthanded, scored, power play scored. Um, he he is a top-notch number one center. The best part about him, he does it in all three zones with the puck and without it. He's really good defensively as well. So, Mike, uh, I'm not a big sports uh, analytics guy. I always joke, sometimes sports nerds ruin sports. You just look at the NFL, guys going for two with four minutes to go and that type of thing. But I do like what you do. And you did something this summer. I was looking on your Twitter account. You created... A, distru- a disruptive archetype for defensemen. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, you know, the, over the last few years, you know, I, I've probably even going back four or five years, I've been really interested in player archetypes. So just understanding, you know, where certain players fit. What type of player is this and how can we measure it? How can we quantify it? And there's a lot of value in that. I know the teams put value on that and looking for certain players. And, you know, you can go back and look at Colorado last year winning the Cup, Right. There were big-name free agents available. Um, they identified Arturi Lekkanen as a certain type of player they needed. Somebody who They don't need another guy to come in and, and you know shoot the lights out and score whatever. Um, they've got enough of that. They needed someone who is disruptful, can win pucks back, um, good in all areas, can score the odd goal too, and he certainly did that and scored big ones. But that's a player archetype they were looking for, win battles, you know, board battles, those kind of things. So... 
Um, I know how much teams value it, and I know how important it is. And I've honestly spent a, a few off-seasons just not quite getting it right, or as right as I'd like it. And this past off-season is the first year that I think you know, I really accomplished that goal. And through talking to these coaches and players, that is one thing that you know, we all know playmaker and score, and a lot of those archetypes mm-hmm. that already exist. Um, disruptive is the word I kept hearing about, you know, players and defensemen especially that are disruptive and they can force a loss of possession. So what I did is I looked at things like puck battle wins, blocking passes, stick checks, using your stick check to force a loss of possession, denying entries. Those are real main components of it. Um, and I don't think anyone should be surprised who came out number one, Jacob Slavin. But the great thing about this type of work is it, yeah, you get the people you expect, obviously. Uh, if you don't, you <laughs> across the board, you probably have an issue. Um, but you see other players pop up, too. You might not think of Miro Heiskanen as a, such a disruptive defenseman because he's such a good skater, he's got offense, all that. But, man, him, other guys, uh, it was a really cool exercise. Awesome. Can you give me another name? Those are two good names. Uh, Heiskanen is one for sure I wouldn't think of. Is there another one that you were like, holy cow, yeah, wow. Yeah, so the top five, it was Slavin one. It's actually his new defense partner, Brent Burns, number two. And that one might surprise some people because, you know, Burns doesn't have elite defensive numbers in a lot of areas some people would look at over the years. He's kind of been a bit of a rover, and, you know, positionally, I think he runs himself into trouble sometimes. But when it's a one-on-one battle, when it's you against Burns, he's winning. And he does it with his body and his stick. Mackenzie Weeger was third. So Calgary, uh, they're going to love this guy, man. Not enough people talk about him. He, he gets power play time this year. He starts putting up a few extra points with how much he scores at even strength already. People are going to notice him nationally, internationally. Um, he's going to pop. Four was Haskin, and then five was Charlie McAvoy, um, who's just an absolute beast, and he's going to miss the start of the year. But in a full year with him playing as well as he can, he's going to be somebody who I think will at least be a finalist for the Norris Trophy in the, the coming few years, if not maybe win one. All right, and that's where I want to go next, Mike. Uh, checking you out on Twitter. By the way, give a shot to your Twitter handle. Where can they find you? At Mike Kelly NHL. So Mike Kelly says this. The Norris Trophy's been won by 10 different defensemen in the last decade. Makar, Fox, Yossi, Giordano, Hedman, Burns, Doughty, Carlson, Keith, Subban. Who do you have this year, Mike Kelly? So, look, I think if it's not Fox, Hedman, Makar, or Yossi, I think we'll all be surprised. Yeah. Probably will be. But, you know, I was I just found that interesting. Ten different guys in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. So if it's a different person this year, it got me thinking, who might it be? Uh, I would have probably have said McAvoy, but he's going to miss significant time. Ekblad's a guy that could be in there. I'm going with Quinn Hughes in Vancouver. And, you know, hopefully the folks in Western Canada, certainly in B.C., will like that answer. But, um, you know, he's put up such elite possession numbers uh we know we can score uh, the offense he can create such a great passer such a great skater i think the team's a little better i think demko takes another step uh, to me he's already a top five goalie in the league if enough things kind of go well and he doesn't have the strongest d partner i, I get it um he, he's got to be in the mix one of these years coming up and i, I think he's, he's going to take strides this year so that was my guy it's time to step into the radio octagon you're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. All right, we're talking with Three Down Nation's John Hodge. John, thanks for joining us here and taking my call. You do great work over there. Uh, this is interesting, although not uncharted territory for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They face an interesting challenge once again. It's being sharp versus resting your starters when you've got everything sewn up. 
Yeah, it's it's a good problem to have, of course, but that doesn't change the fact that that it is a problem, right? It is difficult to say, okay, we've got you know five weeks to go ahead of the West final. Of course, the Bombers have a game this week. They're on a bye, then they have another game, then they have another bye, right? When the the West semifinal will be taking place, and so I took a look at last season and how they handled that. They clinched with six weeks to go last season and they played basically everybody for one full game. They rested Zach Kolaris and a bunch of starters the second game. And then they kind of did a hybrid model the third game where they started a lot of guys and, and didn't have them finish. But not an easy thing to do in the CFL where you only have 45 players dressing for each game and, and limited roster sizes. It's not like you can promote 20 guys off your practice roster either, right? Those are limited as well. So the club is definitely going to have to play their veterans to at least some extent over these next two meaningless games. All right. And you know, you say, okay, is anybody going to beat the Blue Bombers? And that might be the case, although we know anything can happen on any given Sunday, as they like to say, or Saturday, depending when the game is played. But uh, Nathan Rourke working out. He said all along, I plan to be back. Now, will he be back? We're not sure. But if he does come back, can he be a difference maker? Now you'll say, well, come on, Ballsy, that's stupid. Of course he can, but let's be honest. He's going to come back from a serious injury and be that good right away? Well, I, I think the first uh, number one priority for Nathan Rourke needs to be his long-term health, and I'm sure that that is going to be taken into consideration uh, by not only Nathan, but of course the team's medical staff. Um, he is still only seven weeks removed from surgery. And the, the the general period of time that you need to be non-weight-bearing on your foot following a list rank surgery, such as he had on his right foot, is six to eight weeks. And so not only is he obviously bearing weight on it, but the Lions, he, like like they posted a video of him throwing in practice on Tuesday, he was a limited participant, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is just wild. So, you know, is he going to be back? Rick Campbell spoke to the media in Vancouver yesterday. He said... You know, we, we don't know yet. We're going to have to wait and see. But he did say, I can assure you this is not false hope. There is a realistic chance that not only he will be back, but also Lucky Whitehead will be back. Brian Burnham, the two-star receivers who have been out for a while. So, you know, Nathan Rourke, yes, they're, they're after missing so much time, one would think there's going to be signs of rest. But boy, oh boy, was he ever great to start the first half of the season. Personally, I am hopeful that he will return because I don't think anything can elevate the CFL playoffs this year more than him coming back, just from a sheer entertainment perspective. All right. And joining us here, John Hodge from Three Down Nation, great reporter over there. Now, back to the Bombers for a second. It pains me to say this in Ryder Nation, but I'm going to. Uh, Canadian president, Canadian GM, Canadian head coach. This ties into where I want to go next. Man, I hope Bob Dice can get a couple of wins going here, not only to maybe help the Riders out, but give him a shot at serious consideration for being a head coach. This is his second type of mop-up duty situation. I can I can tell you right now, Bob Dice is absolutely a candidate, a serious candidate, to be the next head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks on a permanent basis. Obviously, he has the interim tag right now but this is a guy who has been in ottawa since 2016 as the special teams coordinator he's been an assistant in the cfl for almost 20 years dating to dating back to his time in saskatchewan and winnipeg where he's originally from 
And, uh, I mean, he, he's a quality football man through and through. He's, he's one of those guys who doesn't matter who you talk to in this league. Nobody has a bad word to say about him. Um, his players will run through a wall for him. We saw that on full display. I think the Red Blacks lost three starters to injury in that game on the road against a hot Montreal team. And they came away with the win, which which was spectacular for them. So I, I do think that there is an opportunity here for Bob Dice over the last three games for Ottawa. They still technically have a shot at the playoffs, as wild as that is to say. He, at, says, at with, he, he says with a chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> it's mathematical, I think, only. But you never know. This is the CFL where crazy things tend to happen all the time. Um, but that being said, I mean, I, I know that Ottawa is going to do a thorough search for their next head coach. They are going to interview a bunch of people. I don't think those the, the rumors surrounding Henry Burris are accurate. I don't think Henry Burris will be the next head coach uh, unless he, he has a, you know, a sensational interview. I don't even know if they'll apply. But uh, Bob Dice absolutely will be a candidate for that job. Well, I was going to go with Henry Burst. I'm glad you brought that up. It's like you and I are Dreisaitl and McDavid. We're on the same line here, buddy. Henry Burst, <laughs> I don't know about head coach, but what about coming here to be an offensive coordinator? And I wouldn't just say, hey, that's a great move, too, because it's taken Anthony Calvillo a while to figure it out, and some would say he still hasn't figured it out. So just being a great quarterback doesn't mean you'll be a great coach. Well, and in fact, I would almost suggest, you know, looking at the history of sports, whether you want to highlight, you know, somebody like Wayne Gretzky, as an example, being a great player, I think, can sometimes almost hinder your ability to coach because you kind of go out there and you go, well, why, why can't you just do, you know, prodigal things? Like, what, what do you mean you don't right. understand this concept? It's, it's simple for me. Um, you know, Anthony Calvillo is a great example. He is now the OC in Montreal. Uh, this is his second go-around. The second go-around seems to be going okay. The first go-around did not go well. Um, Henry Burris, Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the best to ever do it in this league. But he's got a couple of years of coaching experience, right? He was with the Bears last year. He's in his second year of coaching right now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, that team has shown signs of improvement, but I, I think it's awful early uh, for Henry to be considered for an OC job. And by the way, whether or not Bob Dice gets that job as the head coach in Ottawa, I would argue just as important is the hire for who is going to be that team's offensive coordinator because that team, you know, whether they, they roll with Nick Arbuckle, uh, whether they roll with Caleb Evans or go get somebody else, that offense has been the, 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 the sticky wheel, so to speak, in that town for the longest time. The special teams have been good. The defense is pretty good. The offense needs a great leader to run it. Um, is it Henry Burris? I think that would be a gamble. I'm not saying it'd be a bad move. I just think it's awful early for, for, for a guy with who, who, at this point, has like a year and a half of coaching under his belt to take over an offense. John Hodge, here's a theory I've heard kicked around. Now, I'm the voice of the Rough Riders, but I am not inside the dressing room, and I don't really break a lot of stories like uh, you guys do. It just kind of by nature. I'm the voice of the team. I will... Uh, I will say things if they need to be said. But let me ask you this, because I've heard this theory kicked around. In 2019, with Stephen McAdoo as his offensive coordinator, Cody Fajardo had a heck of a season. Now, granted, he had better offensive line protection that doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Shaq Evans played at a very high level. But he was good with Stephen McAdoo. His 
production has dropped off now with Jason Moss as his offensive coordinator. I just wonder if, uh, you know, the theory I heard, just wonder if those two aren't on the same page, and that's part of the problem why the Riders are struggling on offense. Well, I'll say this. Something I'm very surprised at and I think should be concerning in Ryderville is that the protection issues seem to be getting worse, not better. And to start the year, you know, the offensive line struggled at times, but, you know, everybody pointed to Natai Rogers at right tackle and kind of went, well, that's the problem. Like, once they get a right tackle, this offensive line is going to be set. And then what did they do? They cut Natai. Uh, I don't remember exactly when it was. It was around week eight. I think he started just you know just under the first half of the season. They've had a few different right tackles. I know Cooper Richardson's in there right now. I think he's the best one they've had. But you know, Cody was dropping back to pass. You know, in this recent loss against Hamilton, and and he had as little time as ever. And I, I'm sitting there going, okay, when's the adjustment? When's the adjustment? Like, are they going to bring in you know double tight ends? Or where where are the screen passes? Where are those quick hits? And, 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 you know, third, fourth quarter, quarter, you're still seeing Fajardo drop back and, and do the full five, seven step drop. And that's just not what the riders can do right now, right? They run the ball okay. Um, they, they've got a good receiving core. They just don't have time to get those receivers the ball. And so it would not surprise me if those two are not on the same page. And I, I think Jason Moss is a great coach. I was just surprised, frankly. I, I thought that we would see better adjustments and they never happen. And I think the Riders gave up seven sacks. Yeah, in crazy. That game. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, yeah, sixty-six is a ridiculous number, and I totally get that. So here's the the last Rider-centered questions. A two-part question. First off, John Hodge, three down nation. Do the Riders make the playoffs? I think they have a chance to do so. The reason is. The Hamilton Tiger Cats are going into Calgary this week. So, you know, from a mathematical standpoint, you know, the Riders are two points ahead, but the, the, the Tiger Cats do have a game in hand, of course, in the East. And with the crossover rule, Hamilton will make the playoffs, of course, if the two teams have the same record. If the Tiger Cats had a game against, let's say, Ottawa this week, I would be taking the 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 tie cats to make the playoffs. I'm optimistic for the riders only because in the instance that Calgary has wrapped up the second spot in the West division, they might not have a lot to play for Hamilton and Ottawa might just be playing for pride by the end of their schedule. We'll see, but you know, the, I'll put it this way, ballsy. I was looking for the riders and I picked the riders in that game in Hamilton I was expecting their arrow to come up, to so to speak. And unfortunately, that team did not rise to the occasion. Dane Evans had a terrible game. They were still not able to take it. And part of the, part of the credit to the rider defense, part of that was, was Jason Shiver's unit having a good game. But, but when Dane Evans is out there throwing no touchdowns, two picks, less than 50% completion, you need to win that game, and uh, I thought it was disappointing and those, that they weren't able to get yeah, that done. And I agree with you 100%, John. I was, disappointing's the right word, and I've been uh, ever the eternal optimist with this team this year. You knew I picked them to go in the crossover and, and come back and be in their own great cup, but after that game, I'm just it was like a sour milk taste in my mouth. The two, the two games that are going to affect this regime going forward are that game, I think, and the loss to Edmonton here on home turf. My last rider question for you. What scenario do you think will appease the fan base to run back the same regime? In what scenario will the fans be, okay, it was a bad season, everything happened, but we're okay with bringing people back? 
Uh, this is speculation on on my part, but I would say if this team misses the playoffs, I don't think there's a scenario where where you can bring back the same regime. I think if they make the playoffs and exit the first round, that's probably a toss-up. If they make the playoffs and win a game, I think all of a sudden the fans can go. And, and certainly if they win a couple of games, get to the Grey Cup, Mm-hmm. Certainly, I think you're in a position where you can say, "Look, they, you know, they started strong, finished strong. You know, yeah, there was a lull in the middle, but you know, they, at the end of the day, your job is to is to win playoff games, and and I think that would be what what could save uh, people's jobs. And and look, the Riders are still on paper; they're not a bad team, and, and they started four and one. Um, they they've just really hit a snag. I think that the the sacks have started to pile up on Cody, but again, this is the CFL where, where anything can happen, right? Three years ago in 2019, nobody at this stage of the season would have picked the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to win the Grey Cup, and uh, they've been the class of the league since then. So you, you never know what can take place uh, over the last month of the regular season going into the postseason, but that would be my prediction, Ballsy. These guys not only have to get into the dance, I think they've got to win a game, and I think that would that would help turn things around. Let's squeeze in a couple of U sports things before we let you go, John. Uh, the Rams are four and one, and they keep dropping in the top ten. Uh, I, I, help me out with this: the 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 U of R Rams <laughs> don't have their starting quarterback, and they lost their stud running back. They keep winning, and they keep dropping. That's a real head. I don't. Hey, I don't like polls, but I don't get this one. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of of the top ten at the moment, and that's no disrespect to the voters. But you know, I, I something like like Saint Effects, they're undefeated. Full credit to Saint Effects for being undefeated. But I, I'm not sure we need an AUS team in the top six, right? Judging you know just based on the past inter conference play, right? Um, you know, you're Kurt, way Kurt more. Hey, 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 you're way more politically correct than me. Listen, yeah, it's great <laughs> that they're undefeated. If they came out here, they'd get absolutely molly by the Rams and Huskies, like destroyed. I think I think they would certainly get 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 crushed by the Huskies, and they would probably lose to the Rams by by a sizable margin. Um, I and I do feel for the Rams. I mean, and let's also remember. They went toe-to-toe with the Huskies just recently and came out with a one-point loss. Really, really impressive, gutsy performance for them. So I, I do think the Rams deserve to be higher. And the other thing that's wild is this team was unranked going into the season, and I believe in the Canada West poll they were sixth of six, which is crazy, right? Looking at it now, I mean, the Calgary Dinos have been, have been poor all year. Uh, the Rams should have been higher on that list. And I, I agree with you, Ballsy. I think they should be higher on the top 10 at the moment nationwide. And then lastly, today's sports cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM.